Your life purpose is like a dark path with a flashlight. You get to see the next step. You don't always get to see the full thing. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Catherine Hull is the perfect guest for this Summer of Self-Care series. Catherine is a self-care and empowerment coach and an energy healer. She believes that we all have within us the power to heal ourselves and create the life of our dreams. Catherine's message will resonate with conscious leaders who want to have tools beyond the physical to support your journey as you continue to be called into new territory and step beyond what is comfortable. Enjoy. Catherine, welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's my pleasure. So Catherine, as you know, I'm uh, airing a series on Summer of Self-Care this year. And you saw that and you contacted me and said, I really want to come on and, and speak with you. Can you talk with us about what your um, vision or interpretation of self-care is? For me, self-care is, is far more beyond the physical. I think many people know it as a physical thing. And I think that's how we sometimes initially come to self-care is through physical, whether that's a burnout or pain or overwhelm or you know something like that, a disease, health issue, uh, just feeling like a little heavy. But for me, it, it really goes beyond that into mental and uh, you know the mindset and also the soul. So caring for ourselves, body, mind, and soul, and having a holistic program, if you may, um, that encompasses all of those areas. Now, you've had quite a healing journey of your own. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked a bit beforehand. And could you share with us what your progression and understanding was based on your life experience and then how you found that in your professional life aligned with those steps with of that story the way that I understand it right so in my in my personal life um you know I was uh, I could say that my self-care journey really began uh, around the age of 28 I was married at that time for nine years so I was married very young and had two children uh, they were six and two at the time and I was, uh, it was clear to me that I was ready to move on from this relationship and I was very busy. I was also a full-time personal trainer uh, at a big, well-known uh, gym and I was really go, go, going all the time. <laughs> I hadn't experienced what a burnout really was. It's like I had an unlimited pool of physical energy to pull from. Um, but I think that I also was afraid of being still and being alone with myself. And so I constantly kept myself busy, busy with kids stuff, busy with work, just busy, busy, busy all the time. And when I went through my uh, separation, that a lot happened with me, uh, energetically, spiritually, I was working with a, an energy healer at the time. So that was of course playing a part in how I saw the world and myself and, I began to notice um, just the things that I was doing to distract myself from myself. You know, I started to see the things in my life as distractions, like the work and the things that I would do shopping, the different addictions I would have. Um, I, I started to notice them, uh, have greater awareness around them. And that led me into uh, looking at self-care. And I think even then it wasn't really as much of a, a hashtag as it is now. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't as much of a, you know, self-care was still, it was 
starting to become a thing, you know? Uh, and in my life, I, I, you know, nobody was really talking about it, but I realized, I think people were similar to me feeling, you know, burnt out, maybe, um, moms, women, we were not only being housewives, we were also being, you know, um, uh, working women as well. And so that was adding up. And, uh, and when I left uh, my marriage, and then uh, soon after also left my position at the company I was at and started my own business, I, I really experienced a large burnout at that time, uh, had a lot of pain in my body physically, and was seeking tools beyond the physical to help me with that because I knew that I was healthy, I was strong, you know, the way that others would, um, <laughs> would, would uh, you know, say that, that we are in that way. Uh, yeah, so I was looking for something deeper to really heal me on many levels, not just the physical. Somebody listening might be wondering, as I am, you are in this healthy body, mm-hmm. fit, but I'm imagined by any standard, yeah. having a life <laughs> of uh, a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. How did this pain show up for you then? What were the signals? So the pain, well, the pain was physical, was muscular. Um, I had pain in many areas of my body. So at that time, not only was I a personal trainer, and, uh, you know, mother of two young children, but I was a competitive power lifter. So I had taken on yet another, <laughs> another male dominant energetic activity, uh, you know, something that was very masculine. Again, like many of the things I took on, this was a huge thing for me was, um, I'd become certified in posture alignment therapy through being introduced to it, um, through my, um, RMT. So my massage therapist, and I had started to see a lot of change in my physical pain, but also um, it's where I got into being more still in my body and in meditation. So that's what kind of opened the doorway. So when um, you say change, you started noticing positive change then? Yes. So the pain started to, uh, to leave my body because I was beginning to finally pay attention to it. So the... Um, the method is called the Agoscu method, and it allows the person to really pay attention to their own pain so they can heal their own body. So that was like really uh, attractive to me. I think I always looked for things that were very, I'm naturally a very independent person. So I like to know a little bit of information and then I like to do it on my own. So I, you know, personal training was that to me, posture therapy was that to me, and eventually energy healing became that to me. I like to not just be dependent on somebody else to, you know, like our Western uh, medicine can very much be, um, but more of an Eastern approach. Like I want to know what's really wrong with me, but then start to listen to myself and heal it on my own. Like you talk about (laughs) being your inner guru, right? When you say energy healer, what do you Mm -hmm. mean by that? So an energy healer, I mean, that's a broad term and it's, mm. a, it's again, it's floating around out there. Not everybody knows exactly what it is, but essentially you're working with universal energy, God energy, the divine angels, whatever you want to call it. You're channeling that through your body, through your hands, and you're helping to release blockages, blocked emotions, blocked traumas in a person's energetic body. So that does also relate to the physical body, but our physical body is one of our bodies. And then we have several bodies on top of that body, which make up the aura. So many people have heard that term. The aura is like the space surrounding your body. Uh, And so when you have pain, it often is not a physical thing, especially if it's something that 
has been with you for a long time. It's like, it's chronic. It's kind of an issue you've been dealing with for years or maybe decades. It most likely has an attachment to another layer of your energy field. Um, maybe it's a mindset thing. Uh, maybe it's an emotional blockage from the past. So energy healing, there are many different modalities and, and every day there's a new one being born in the time that we're in now, which is great, but they're all really doing the same thing, which I call like internally cleaning, like cleaning out the house on the inside, right? They're just kind of doing some house cleaning, um, spiritually and mentally, emotionally. And just for, I love, I love this, the way this conversation is going, because I'm familiar with a number of different energy healing modalities and used mm. many of them, mm. um, before 2009, when mm. I experienced trauma, but even more so after in the immediate aftermath, thank goodness, all these people were in my life. I mm. don't know what I would have done without them. And so whether it was, it was massage, Cairo and, and my massage therapist and my chiropractor were both tuned into these other energies. Mm. So they Mm-hmm. Even though their modality was physical, they were moving energy, but also some more um, esoteric is probably the right word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the more esoteric practices like Reiki, like mm-hmm. um, kinesiology, mm-hmm. um, not the scientific kinesiology, but cranial sacral, muscle. another one that you probably experienced if you're with a Cairo. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so. I want to tie this in a little bit to what we were talking about. We started launching into before we started to record (laughs) is some of the changes Mm -hmm. that can happen in a person as they go through this energy healing process. Mm -hmm. And we might be able to use that as an opportunity to loop it back around to what we were talking about in terms of voice. What I've noticed happened in my life and and I work with many others, um, you know, I know a lot of healers to get that feedback, but the process of waking up to yourself, uh, you know, through energy healing is like peeling away layers, right, of an onion. And that's a great analogy. Uh, as you clean out the internal clutter and the junk, you're able to listen more intently, more clearly to your gut, to your inner guru, to your intuition. Um, but also, I find that because in that you're raising your vibration uh, to one that's lighter and higher. You know, if you return to an activity that used to, um, that maybe isn't so great for you, it's almost like you get a double slap. (laughs) It's like you, the things you used to do, and that was really, that was like really puzzling for me. Like, why did I used to be able to go in the gym, just, you know, completely push my body to whatever pain, and I had this result? But now that I know better, if I choose to go back and do that, it almost will be a worse um, outcome for me because I know better now. And it's the same as I used to be able to listen to really loud music and go into a bar and have all these things coming at me, listen to the news, and now I cannot take really any of it. So it's like as my body becomes lighter, I also become more sensitive to those things. And if I choose to you know, engage in that maybe behavior from before, uh, it's probably going to be worse of an outcome for me because I know better, right? When I was in the dark and more unconscious about it, it's like that was the way I was. <laughs> that was the life I was living, drinking and smoking and eating lots of fast food and, and listening to a bunch of gibberish and garbage on the you know radio and gossip and pollution from my ears and my mind. And so I didn't know any better. 
But now that I'm, you know, free from a lot of those habits in my life, if I do come into contact with one, I definitely feel more sensitive to it. Um, I notice the difference because my, my vibration is much higher than what it was before. And so self-care is like really important for me now, especially because, uh, because of that. It's really about keeping my vibration as high as possible, allowing me to connect with myself as much as possible um, so I can make choices that are going to be in alignment with that. What are some of the choices that you make for yourself or that you might guide other people through when you're working with them to help them to manage that. It's almost like a double two-sided thing on one, on one layer, you're becoming more aware of these things. And Mm. so the awareness plus possibly an extra sensitivity. Mm. And then don't, don't we need strategies to be able to Mm -hmm. support that or tools? Yeah. So I call that your energetic immune system. I don't think I coined this term, but but this is what I'm calling it. I love it. I don't. <laughs> so we understand your immune system physically. So when I explain energy to people, especially if they're, you know, they're entering into a room, they're um, they might be in a great mood, and then they feel very brought down by somebody else who's negative, right? Something like that. So people can relate to that, at least having that experience. So your immune system physically, we understand that if everyone in the office is sick you're going to put the Purell on, you're going to eat your veggies, you're going to, you're going to make sure your, your physical immune system is as strong as possible. So we understand that concept of physical immune system. Your energetic immune system is really beyond that. So it's your mindset. If you have a, you know, your, your mind is clear of all of these beliefs and thoughts, you are less likely to take on those beliefs and thoughts of others when you know truly who you are. When you're spending time taking care of things that feel good for your soul, doing things that are light and joyful, you know, bringing back that childlike wonder that we all used to have, you're less likely to feel pulled down when somebody is coming up with an energy that is maybe heavier, um, more anxious, uh, you know, um, and, and more fearful. So your energetic immune system is really about not just your physical, but your body, your mind, and your soul. So your self-care uh, in my humble opinion, uh, should be really encompassing of those three things. And I find that as we move away from the physical self-care and more into the mindset and meditation and caring for the mind, um, and also into the soul and the spirit, it's almost as if the physical takes care of itself. Like we don't need to spend as much time stretching the body and doing, burning all the calories. And it's true. (laughs) So, and I've done this, I've done this experiment with myself and like, what if I didn't want to go work out all the time? What if I, what if, because I know the power of my mind and my spirit to change my physical reality. What if I spend time meditating on how I want to feel and just be that energy right now? What if my body will follow along with that? And so that's what I've seen. And I'm not the first one to talk about this. There's some really great um, people pioneering this out there. Uh, You know, psychology of eating. Uh, There's, you know, this is being talked about in our world today. So there's a lot of power in the mind. And I would say even more in the soul and the spirit beyond that um, to change your reality. Well, I want to share with you and Mm -hmm. anyone listening that I have been pioneering this this year. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I hadn't thought about it that that way till now, but 
I started on January 1st. I started meditating every day. I'd been a fairly regular meditator, but I just I wanted to, I knew this year was going to be a big year. And I thought back to 2015, which was a big year that I didn't know was going to be a big year. And I made a similar commitment. So this time I, I meditated for almost 200 days consecutively. And then, and, and the masculine side of me, which we'll get to masculine feminine energy in a moment, but the, the masculine strategic um, tracker side of me, I was using an app that I, that I talk about a lot on here called Headspace. So mm-hmm. it's fun. It's light. They let you know what your streak is. I broke it at 197. Mm-hmm. And then as is typical, once that um, external reward and satisfaction, there were two things that happened at day 180, I got a bunch of um, free um, codes to give to people for a free month. So I was motivated by that. So that's an external motivator. And the other was this, I was pretty proud of this streak. So once I broke the streak though, I got really spotty. Mm. And this is my unintentional pioneering. And it wasn't long before physical signs of stress, physical signs of, I guess, anxiety started showing up. And that's not that long ago. We're talking weeks, days. So um, my little experiment is over because I do not like that feeling. And now I'm back to sitting every day um, for my 15, 20 or 30 minutes. Whatever I can manage that day is good enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've led right into, you know, meditation. Uh, Meditation, you know, my self-care practice has grown over the years from being purely physical to now physical being the lowest priority. Uh, and of course, it always gets done, but it's not the first thing. Generally, it's more mind care and soul care. And meditation gives me both of those things. Um, yeah, so that's been my, my go-to every day. That's my necessary. I need to do that. It's a little bit different every day. Right now, I'm using a Course in Miracles. I'm, I'm doing that mm. for the year, which is amazing. So that's transforming my meditation practice. Uh, and you know, I kind of weave other tools into it. So meditation, as you know, is like a big, uh, a big part of my life now. And, uh, I think it's, it's kind of the answer to everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you know how, what I recommend for people is like, if you're going to do one thing for self-care, uh, you know, forget about the brushing. I do the dry brushing I do the tongue brushing I do the, you know, the yoga, I do all that stuff, but really meditation is what makes the whole difference, you know, being kinder in your life, being a a better parent. Um, It's been the thing that has healed a lot of the anger that I've had around, you know, the type of parent I am and, you know, be having sudden bursts of anger and not being able to cope with the three children that I have, you know, when they're just being children. And it's, it's been the thing that's really changed my life in the biggest way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think we can, um, stress that or emphasize that <laughs> enough. Right. And, uh, and I think a lot of people are, are hesitant still mm-hmm. to embrace it as a practice. Well, I think an analogy I use for that, why meditation is so difficult. Like I was not one that came easily to meditation. It was my physical pain that made me do postures that, that were sitting and for five minutes or more lying down that led me into meditation. Um, 
And I think that I use the analogy of like a dirty house. Like if your body is the house and your mind is the front step, you know, when you open the doors to this house, like who wants to be in a house that's full of clutter, right? So you want to close the doors and sit on the front step, which is your head. So most people are not fully present within their bodies. And when I do an energy healing session, I can see this. So we bring them into their bodies to receive the session. And the reason why it's so difficult when we stop all of the activity and we sit in silence with ourselves is because the traumas are there and the hurt is there. And now there's space for it to come up and out of us, but we, we don't know that it's coming up and out of us. So we just have these feelings that we don't like. And so then we go back into busy activity. Um, so, you know, decluttering your house is what meditation does. If you can sit little by little and just breathe through that stuff coming up, that's how it is released out of your energy field. That's how you release it through the breath and through awareness. You don't really even need, here I am like, you know, I'm an energy healer, but you don't really even need energy healing. (laughs) And I often say that you don't really even need any of these things, but often we do, you know, we do um, seek out someone to hold our hand and walk with us until we feel empowered enough to heal ourselves. So I have had so many amazing women that I've worked with and men in energy healing And I would not be where I am today without them. But now I know that I know how to do that on my own. Right. And, and of course we need help from others as well. Um, But I think that's why going back to the meditation, it's so difficult for people is they have all these repressed things. And that's why I would say, take it, you know, be compassionate um, and take it little by little because you are going into those traumas and healing them as you're sitting with them. Um, and watching them come up and out of you. And you're also, when you're going through this process, it, it's a fine line, just like any sort of leader, follower, guide, um, guide mm. e um, relationship. Mm. We've been so conditioned not to pay attention to these energetic um, impulses mm. and flashes. So we're fundamentally disconnected from what you and I are calling our inner guru or intuition. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that plus, if, if you're like me, I didn't, my life before my late thirties, early forties really had none of this in it. I mean, I was mm-hmm. always up for a massage or, or an adjustment or a workout, but this, the whole revelation of there's more to us than what we think and what we can physically see and, and touch was completely mm. foreign to me. I have right. friends who kind of grew up in that environment mm. and it was just completely natural to them. So we need to have guidance from somewhere as much as you say, we don't need it. The goal is probably mm. to learn until you have a, a decent handle on, yes. on what's true for you and how your, your energy and you know, inner guidance speaks to you. Yeah, I think the message is always that you have everything you need within you. Uh, but of course, we're all just one step ahead of, you know, who we're helping, right? We're just, mm-hmm. we've just been there. So absolutely, we do, you know, we're here to help each other. And, uh, and that's powerful. And that's why we see such, a, such an emergence of energy healers and, you know, people working with light and, you know, all different things like that coming into our world today. And that's the, it's the uprising of the, of the divine feminine. And when you were talking about, you know, um, 
what you were just talking about, the, the masculine energy of us needing to do and us needing to fix and us needing to change. Of course, our Western world is very male dominated in its energy. And I grew up in a very male dominated environment. I have four brothers uh, <laughs> and I was just, you know, I was very independent and I was just a doer. I'm just very much a doer, you know? Um, and no so wonder we vibe. I know, right? I have three brothers. Uh, I have one sister. But again, I didn't realize until I learned more about that feminine and masculine that I had so much. Um, oh, and this is such a cool thing. So when I got into posture therapy, this is where I started to see the difference. So the right side of my body was, I would say, if I could divide the strength and give you a percentage as a power lifter, I was like 70% right. Like that's with the function on my right side, the strength versus 30 on the left. That was my perception. Um, and so I had a ton of pain on the left side of my body. And then I started to look into like, why is it the left side, right? The left side was so underutilized, even the function, like my foot didn't work properly. My, my wrist didn't work properly. I didn't do anything with the left side of my body. And I just thought, well, I'm right-handed. So I do everything with the right. And so posture therapy helped me to see the imbalance in my body. And then I looked energetically at the imbalance and everything I did in my life was very male dominant. Like, you know, the energy that I had, the approach that I had, um, I wasn't okay with just being and receiving and allowing. That's the very feminine energy. That's the healing energy. I wasn't okay with that because there was this trust thing, this vulnerability thing. I didn't want to get hurt. Nope. If it's going to be done, it's going to be me and I'm going to do it. Um, and so I was like, you know, I was uh, not embracing 50% of who I am. And so of course that causes dis-ease in the body. It causes pain. And I understand this now having worked with so many and then also looking at my own case of pain and posture and how that shows up. And so I knew that if I could really work with the feminine energies of myself, that would heal the pain too. And, and that's what happened um, and continues to happen in my life where things, you know, when things are out of whack and things don't feel right, I now generally will go to the emotional trigger or the, you know, what the lesson is on a soul level rather than just, oh, my shoulders being whatever, because mm -hmm. I know that that's not really the case. You know, this isn't just a bobo that I got from... <laughs> from a, you know this is like a pattern right when there's patterns we look at them like why is this presenting why is this here what can I learn from it so the physical and and uh, the feminine and masculine energies have taught me so much about myself and about healing uh and they're fascinating to me and generally speaking is the left side right side correlation is that something that's present in you or is that something that's universal to all of us or do we need to figure that out for ourselves so left side is is always feminine and it's moon the moon is feminine cooling uh healing receiving and right side is sun and it's male always so that's, that's energetically how the bodies are. And so when things are, and this is what's really cool too. So in one of the modalities that I'm certified in, in integrated energy therapy, um, we have integration points. So I often will have a client and, and not having any backstory, you know, I'll say, oh, like your left shoulder is, you know, you had a lot of stuff to release there. And the left shoulder is carrying the shoulds and should nots, the opinions of others having to do with females. And there's always like, a, oh, <laughs> so, and they have pain there, right? They'll say, I have left shoulder pain. And then I'll say what, what it is energetically to see if there's any, you know, if there's going to be some aha for them, what that means to them. Um, 
And there always is, you know, or the right hip, it's like fear and it's masculine. So being afraid of your own masculinity, uh, having fears there or physically being afraid of the masculine in others or having males in your life where there's some fear there. So it's, it's so interesting to me that time and time again, I've seen the connection between where the pain is physically. And then when I tell the client what that means and always being detached from like what that's going to mean to them, I don't know. Uh, there's always some type of like, Oh, (laughs) that makes so much sense, you know? So it continuously convinces me and, and builds the trust I have with the divine, because I can honestly say that's a process. Like I started working with angels, not even knowing if they existed, but I knew that I trusted that the outcome I was having, it was real. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't deny it it was working in my life. And so I became certified and was like, is this really working? And since I've seen with the healing school that I opened that other people have the same doubts, that it's not just a Mm. one, you know, sometimes people wake up and they just have that instant connection with, with angels and they're able to believe in that. And for me, it was a slow process of, you know, um, does this really exist? I know this is helping my client. Is this real? And that's, I think, uh, important to talk about mm. because people might think that when you work with energy, you just believe everything in the app, in the, you know, esoterically is real. But I think it sometimes for some of us is a process of trusting and learning and seeing the, the outcome in the session and knowing mm-hmm. that you didn't do that. And that really builds your faith in, in what's going on that's not physical, right? Absolutely. And what's coming up for me, uh, listening to you is, is there's the building the faith and the belief in what you're doing, but there's also a level of discernment present mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, that is, that is healthy, mm-hmm. that must keep you on your toes, so to speak, mm-hmm. paying attention versus just, you know, blanket. Yes. Cause I, I, um, I feel very similar to you mm-hmm. and, you know, part of my own journey was losing all faith. Mm-hmm. And that was a very, very dark place to be for anywhere between five to seven years before mm-hmm. I started realizing that, you know what, even though I've had a really challenging experience, I couldn't go back to how I was before, but I could start bringing on some of the practices and paying attention to what excited me and what brought out the best in me. And here we are, several years mm-hmm. later on a free your inner guru podcast, just soaking up all of this stuff, which is yeah. what I love about having guests on because I get to soak it up again and share with other people. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like a continual it's well, it's continual learning and also continual mm-hmm. um, exploration of self as well as helping others. Yeah. And I think also for me, um, letting go of the fear of what, what others will think about me. You know, I've always had a, a connection to God. I went to church without my family when I was 13 and wanted to get baptized. And like, I, I read the Bible when I was a kid. Like I always had a connection to God, but the way I was raised, I thought God was a religion, but I had a connection to something bigger than myself. And then I went through a stint when I was a teenager and kind of, you know, renounced everything and was a big badass. Uh, but I still had that, you know, I would pray and then energy healing came into my life 
um, and change things a little bit. I started to go away from, I think what I knew God to be in, you know, kind of dabbled in angels and the divine and all these different ways of saying it. Uh, and then I've come back to God. I've come back to God. And that's been also, uh, a little scary for me in my business because my business has, you know, changed and I was the personal trainer and then I was the personal trainer working with angels. And what does that mean? And then I was the personal trainer who now I was an energy healer and now I was saying God instead of the universe. What does that mean? Mm. And so in my own mind, there was a lot of, I had to let go of the fear of what that meant and what people would, would think um, because it just, it just felt right to me. So this whole process has been like, okay, and now you want me to do what? <laughs> like when I started um, in the last couple of years channeling, uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard of light language, uh, but channeling light language is like uh, ancient uh, sounds that you channel through you and they can kind of sound weird and, and different. And, you know, while I'm channeling them, I'm, there's a part of my mind that's saying, what the heck are you doing? Like, even though I know how much it's helped me and I've been a, a client of it for many years, uh, and then it started to come through me and I, I pushed it away like so many times. And then I find myself, um, doing it, you know, live on happiness on the hill. And I'm like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. <laughs> and every time I do it and I don't want to do it, and it might be a five to 10 minute thing that goes on in my head and I'm arguing with, with God and I'm going, no, oh. I'm not doing it. Good and I'm being pushed to do it. And I'm like, no, no, I can't do this. I, I feel foolish or whatever. Every time I get over that hurdle and I do it, somebody says something to me like, that is the most incredible thing I've ever felt in my life. Or what just happened? Like, I don't know what you just did. And, and then it just, again, it reaffirms that trust and that faith. And I was so afraid to do it. Um, you know, I was so afraid to use my voice. We were talking about voice, right? So here we yes. are circling back to voice. Yeah. Um, so the thing that I realized is my gift is to speak and to use my voice. And then I didn't realize it was also to do light language. So now more pieces of the purpose are coming, right? On our path, we get the next piece. People often want to see the whole thing. But I say that, you know, your life purpose is like a dark path with a flashlight. You get to see the next step. You don't mm -hmm. always get to see the full thing, right? Um, so. It's such so a, it's such a, a dance with trust, isn't it? Yes. It's when like you, you're being told to leave this job or do this thing or leave this marriage. Uh, you know, it's really listening to your heart, right? Um, and that's why I say it began when I was, I think, 28 and my divorce, it was the first time I listened to my heart over my head, my feminine over my masculine. That was the first time. And then I just kind of exercised the, that heart muscle a little bit more a little bit more. Uh, but then this, there's always something that will scare me like this light language. I was like, what the heck? Just leave me alone. I don't want to do this. Why me? Why are you asking me to do this? Um, and there are many people that do this in the world and they're all really amazing, beautiful people. Um, but, but speaking of the voice, the voice is something that I've seen. We were talking about our voices changing yes. and how, so I used to hate my voice when I was, uh, my voice has always been this thing, right? The throat chakra for me has been an area, a big area of exploration in my life. Um, it's been very excessive at times, overeating, over talking. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, you know, there's, a, there's some trauma there, right? When I get pain, it's in my neck generally. Uh, so it's been a big area of like of learning for me. And 
my voice used to be up in my nose. So, you know, more of a nasal voice Mm -hmm. up up here. And then it kind of came down into my throat. And then as I practiced more self-care, meditation, healing, it started to drop into my heart. And so I actually, and there's a TED talk, I don't remember what it's called, but he talks about the voice and it being in your heart. That's where he explained it the way that I didn't know how to explain it. I knew it was going on and I have to find that anyways. We'll find Um, it and we'll put a link in the notes to this. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. And it was really awesome. He was talking about when you're, when you're calm and I noticed that too, when I get excited and I get really anxious, my voice comes up into my throat and my nose. So it comes out of my heart and up into my throat, my nose, and I get really excited. And I, and you know, I, I, I used to call myself like, what's the nanny, Fran Drescher? I used to say myself. Wow. <laughs> and I hated my voice. I really didn't like it. But it's so interesting that my voice is, is what I feel, you know, the way that I will leave, you know, um, that I will help the world, right? Uh, and it's interesting that now I'm, you know, helping it with meditation, doing guided meditations, and it all comes back to my voice, but it was the very thing that I hated and I wanted to change about myself and I would hate to hear myself. And now I, I think I really love my voice, but it has definitely changed when I'm in my heart, you know, mm-hmm. the voice is, is, it resonates with people. It's easy to listen to when I get excited. And of course it happens, or I get in my head, I get anxious, it will, it comes out of the heart and it comes up into my throat or my nose (laughs) and then it it changes. It's interesting. We, we were chatting before we came on here and I Mm -hmm. said, this will be a, this will be a really nice episode for people to listen to because, Mm. because of your voice, it's actually one of the first things that I noticed about you. And we, we, I don't think we really connected until last year, but I was aware of you a couple of years ago at a, at an event that we yeah. go to and I, I heard your voice and, and noticed it. This was pre podcast days, but, mm-hmm. um, but then, you know, we, I made a crack about, you know, much to my own surprise when I started the podcast, I would get, get emails and phone calls from people who knew me messages from people who didn't know me. If you read the reviews on the podcast, it's all about my voice. And I thought that it was garage band being, kind to me because that's what I use on my Mac. (laughs) And then I recently went on, um, I had, I heard myself on a radio interview where I know they're not using GarageBand. And I was like, oh, that's how my voice sounds now. It's such Mm. a physical transformation because much like what you said, I always if I were to compare, I think my voice was like shooting out my eyes or my ears or something. It was very high. Yeah. And yeah. I would hear it recorded and I would, there must be something, I don't know if it's, it's more do, predominant in, uh, in women versus men, but mm. I remember as a, as a, a, a young, um, teenager, young adult, anytime I heard my, my voice coming from a recording device, I, to me, it was like nails on the chalkboard. I just wanted yeah. to run from it and imagine running from your own voice. What a tragedy that is. Yeah. Yeah, there's so so. Poetic. It's like running from your truth. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, well, and the fifth chakra in the throat is really about your truth and speaking your truth and when to speak and when not to speak. Now, isn't that a life, a whole life journey? When to say nothing, when to say something. We all we all can relate to that that struggle. And when do I? When am I to be quiet and accept? And that's the feminine. And when am I to act? And, and show up and say something and change something and use my voice to instill change in the world. 
And when am I meant to say nothing and be quiet? Um, and that's, you know, that's the balance of the throat chakra. You know, sometimes we're meant to be silent. Sometimes we're meant to speak. Uh, yeah. So I don't know about you, but my, my reflex is always to speak. <laughs> yeah. Generally my <laughs> reflex is to speak being the third of six children. I now realize that, um, it's where I am seen. And so I have mm. learned, you know, I've, I've done some exploration with that and healing around that. And, you know, really telling myself that I'm seen regardless of if I speak or not. But that that was scary because for me, it was like, if you want to get heard and you want to get your needs met, especially with six kids, you need to speak. Uh, mm. So so then I would just speak all the time, right? Um, and I still get into the verbal diarrhea sometimes, but I'm, I'm more aware and my meditation and self-care practice helps me to nurture myself. So I don't need to speak when I'm not, when I don't need to, um, and to love myself and know that I don't need to speak up to be seen, to be heard, that I'm seen and heard just with the presence that I have. But, but that's a continuous thing. That's something I'm still very much working on right now. And then how that weaves into nourishment and food, uh, because I often will use food when I'm anxious, if I'm in a group or something like that. Um, that's a whole other other thing. <laughs> Putting things in the mouth, you know, or things coming out of the mouth. It's very much, uh, it's making me think of, for some reason, like self-soothing, but not perhaps yeah, in the most constructive is. way. I've been, I've been reading about it recently with Osho. Uh, and it goes actually, it comes down into Tantra, which is again, a whole other topic, which I'm just getting more into recently. But the pleasure and also um, that initial, you know, the needing nourishment from like the mother's breast, right? Like when we're first born, it's that initial entrance into the world and needing our mouth to be nourished. And if we don't feel necessarily nourished, like what does that even mean? That whole idea of like, will I get enough? Am I enough? Uh, what does that mean? You know? And so then we fill it with other things and we're, we're unconsciously, you know, either talking or giving ourselves things to fill that need of being nourished. And so I'm exploring mm. that in my own life. Like, what if I don't eat right now? You know, what if I don't need to talk or say something right now? And I think I was so out of whack with whether I was hungry or not, what mm. that even meant. Like, I didn't even know. How did I even know? I'd never been without, I was so worried with like when the next meal was <laughs> that I was having to work out all the time. You know, that was an interesting, like, if I didn't work out so much. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't I would, eat so much. If I didn't need to eat so much, maybe I wouldn't work out so much. Maybe my body's doing a lot of work for nothing. Like it's oh, what an interesting, the, you know, like if like that was a huge, like wow, like my body's doing all this work to digest all this food, but food should be nourishment. And then my body's doing all this work to repair from the muscle damage. That just seems like a lot of work for my body. If I didn't need to eat as much, would I need to work out as much? If I didn't need to work out as much, would I need to eat as much? I'm just fueling my own hunger constantly. And so I looked at that, you know, and I, I just kind of looked at it. Like I just watched something for a while and learn from it and then mm -hmm. make some choices once I've decided what I'm going to do. Um, so I started to dial back on the amount of exercise I had in my life. And also to not need to eat because it was 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 5 p.m. How do I know if my body's hungry if I never give it a chance to show me? But I was so afraid of not having 
mm-hmm. of not having that food there. And I would get very anxious around food, um, especially if I was like traveling or the food was maybe out of my control. Somebody else was making it. Uh, so the retreats, uh, you know, that I've been on and run and, and different times where I've been away for a week and it's like someone else is doing my food. That's always a big area of like self, self-reflection, self-discovery for me around food. And mm. it's an ongoing thing. As I've mentioned, I'm going deeper into it and healing a lot of stuff around it. Even as, <laughs> even as you were describing that um, mm. exchange, mm. I, I'm going to call it an exchange of energy with the bot between the exercise, the body and food and back and yeah. forth. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's layers to that. I'm, I'm certain yeah. as there's got as far as even just mental energy. Yeah. So much, so much. I recently went on this silent retreat. That was the first one for me. And, and, uh, and it was, and I will incorporate that into my own retreats because I now see the power of being mm-hmm. silent and I, I didn't have a problem being silent, which some people who know me might, might uh, <laughs> they're like, you're going to go. On. I'm like, listen, you don't actually know. So this is what I realized. I talk a lot when I'm around people, but it's, it's draining for me because I feel like I have to contribute to the conversation. So the silent retreat for me was like, okay, no one's going to talk to me. I don't have to talk. Thank God. I will not have a problem being quiet because the expectation is that in a group, if I'm in a group, especially if we're talking about healing or talking mm-hmm. about self-care, I that healer archetype of mine, that mother archetype of mine, it's going to be on fire. I'm going to have yeah. to help out. But if yeah, well, somebody tells me- leaders in that group. That's right. So if somebody tells me, you don't have to say anything and no one's going to say anything, I actually feel like, oh, thank God, I don't have to work. Uh, so what I noticed was that for me, words are how I help people. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I feel that I need to use them. So I'm giving advice. Maybe I don't need to give advice, um, things like that. And so it was like, a, oh, thank God, I don't have to say anything. And I noticed the impulse is not only around talking and what, what happened with that when we broke silence, but around eating. And how then it's like, oh, then the eating was kind of the thing taking over when I couldn't talk. So that whole Mm. experience was so awesome for me. Um, And it shifted many things for me when I came back, Um, like some of my dietary changes and some of the things I was putting in my body, it just naturally, like I just kind of gave them up. It didn't feel difficult because I had the clarity on, you know, the choices a little bit more. Uh, So that was cool. I want to make sure that we talk about um, self-care and energy healing and compassion and the mm. relationship between between the three. Right. Um, I I have some research that I was doing a couple of years ago that's becoming more prominent in my conversations in, and so consequently interviews, but also my coaching, where. This is the big question that I'm encouraging people to ask themselves is what's the most compassionate thing I can do for whatever, myself, mm. my business, you know, framing, um, framing what we're doing as a form of self-care by looking mm. at it through the lens of compassion. Right. Um, and that was a struggle for me for a long time because I was handling and steeped in a lot of shame. So the two don't, mm. 
the two don't coexist very well. Compassion <laughs> and shame, they're like polar opera opposites, or I understand them and experience them as, as energetic opposites as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is why, um, a lot of people struggle with approaching self-care? Yeah, I think that we've definitely been taught to, um, man up or woman up or just do the job that we need to do that somehow if we're needing to take time off, that's not okay. If we need to take a break. I know for me, uh, my mother was a, a big part of my learning, having six children, and, and then I we lived in a, an old age home. So my mother had six senior citizens to care for and six children, and I grew up in this elderly old age home. Uh, so my, my mother, I never watched her like put her feet up, take a break. So that was my that was my my role model, right? So it led me into thinking I can't I can't take a moment for myself, like that's lazy. So I had a lot of triggers around being lazy. That's Mm -hmm. lazy. You don't see me taking a break or taking a week off or, you know, I didn't do those things. I didn't take vacations. I worked. I didn't put my feet up in the middle of the day. (laughs) No way. I didn't do those things uh, because I felt, yeah, I felt guilty. There was a lot of guilt around that. And it was going through my burnout and having all this pain when I was at the beginning of running a business uh, that that really um, shook me out of that. I had to, like I was at rock bottom. I had to take care of myself. So I had to start saying no. So I had this year of like, no, because I was saying yes to everything all the time. So I said, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to bring it into balance, but I'm going to say no if I don't feel like I'm going to say no. And I said no so many times to people that wanted to do something, to my family coming over, uh, to hosting Christmas dinner, to cooking, that eventually I was like, am I ever going to want to say yes again? But I didn't want it to come from a place of obligation. Oh, I was only gee. doing things out of obligation. So and I, I thought, you know, and any word is neutral. Obligation can also be an amazing word. You mm-hmm. know, like it can be beautiful and light. But in this way, it was heavy for me at the time. And so I realized I was saying yes all the time because that's what I was supposed to do. And I wasn't really being empowered and saying no. So I said no for, I think it was about a year. (laughs) I just kept saying no because I honestly didn't want to do it. And then eventually it did come into balance and I started to say yes. And so when I say yes now, you know, I I explained this to my parents. They had a kind of a difficult time with it. (laughs) They said, well, we're your parents. You're just supposed to. And I'm like, no, you want me to come and visit you and I don't want to be there? You actually would be okay with that. They're like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, well, this is a different generation. This is not, I'm sorry. I don't want to come and visit you if I don't want to be there, but know that when I am there, I want to be there and mm. I'm not going to be preoccupied on my phone. I'm not going to be wishing I was somewhere else. I am going to be there because I want to. And I think teaching my children, that was really important too. Um, the divorce taught me that is my children have free They're you know, on paper, they're 50, 50, but, but they get to choose. So if one day they don't want to be here and they want to be there because something fun is going on there, their dads, my older two children are from my first marriage and I have a little guy from my marriage now, then they get to choose. And even though on the other side of that as a parent, sometimes it can be hurtful, uh, but I have to deal with that because I want my children to be here when they want to be here because I could so easily use guilt 
you know, especially for my daughter, I don't want to have that continue. I want to break that cycle. Mm. I don't want her to pass it on if she chooses to have children. I don't want her to feel like another female, especially females. I've watched with the four brothers and one sister I have, especially females. We have this guilt around taking care of our family, showing up for our parents, taking care of our parents, um, taking care of our children, just a guilt around saying no to things. And I think that we need to start saying no so we can say yes and really saying yes to ourselves. That's what's by default. If you say no to somebody else, because you said yes to yourself, that's okay. You know, you have to do what feels right for you, but I think the yes yes comes from love. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather be sitting with somebody Mm -hmm. because they said yes, but you know that they want to be there instead of that obligation? Like, I don't want people around me that don't want to be there. I can feel that. I can energetically feel that they don't want to be there. And I'm just like, why are you even here? I can tell you don't want to be here. (laughs) I'd rather you say yes and, and in a way that feels right for you. So even with my female relationships, uh, that's important to me. And if we don't feel like doing something that we plan to do and we honestly don't feel like it, we don't have to fake a sickness. In fact, we don't have to manifest a sickness. We don't have to be sick to not be somewhere, even if it's something that we really looked forward to. And obviously in that, of course, there's trust and obligation and all those things. But, but I think that females need more of that, you know, um, of that lack of obligation in some ways and saying Mm -hmm. yes to what feels right for them and being okay. There's no, like, there's no hard feelings I've had. And I have those discussions with my friends. They have to be okay with me canceling last minute if it no longer feels right for me. And I have to be okay with that. And isn't that beautiful? Because when you're together, you know that you both want to be there. Yeah, absolutely. You're, um, you're making me think of, uh, I accidentally wiped out one of my most popular blog articles and I have it ready for republished. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Technology. Technology. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, fortunately I had it in an email because I received my own email. So I recreated it, but it's called how to give an enlightened no. And it's from the big leap by Gay Hendricks. Okay. If you've read that. No, I I took that and, uh, you know, it's just one or two pages in this book. And I was like, oh, this is what I need. And then I wrote an article about uh, an instance where I put this enlightened no into practice. And it was to the benefit of three very separate parties. And it was just such a great illustration. So I'll publish that before I release this and link it. That's so Um, great. And as I'm noticing our, our time, we'll have to unfortunately be wrapping up. Um, we could just talk for hours. We totally could. <laughs> um, I'd love to. Oh, and so great. Tell us about tell us about your retreats and and how you work with people currently. So I currently work with people mostly in groups workshops. Uh, I have a Healing Hearts School, so I certify people who want to be doing energy healing with others who feel that's part of their path. Uh, I do that in Ottawa, um, in retreats and also in weekend workshops. And then I do retreats in Costa Rica and now I've added Peru. So I have a yearly retreat. The Costa Rica is women only because uh, I say so. <laughs> <laughs> and the Peru one is co-ed. It's more of an active retreat. Like we're going to several different spots and there's some hiking but the Costa Rica one is luxury in nature. It's amazing. It's diving deep into some of the things that 
you know, when you press pause on your everyday life and you're able to mm-hmm. go and really spend some time, you know, going inward and learning more about yourself. And then you bring all of that back to, uh, to your life and you're more, you're more in love with your life and those around you. And it's really beautiful. So that's why I'm working with people. I do, uh, I do have some one-on-one sessions, but I'm starting to uh, get out of that uh, a little bit more and spend more time in the group area. I love the group stuff, but I am at um, Epic Fitness for those that are in Ottawa. I'm at Epic Fitness on Fridays doing some one-on-one energy healing sessions if you want to try it. And aren't you opening a meditation center oh, yes. later <laughs> in the year? Yeah. So I'm opening a meditation studio on Spark Street, uh, right downtown Ottawa in November with two amazing business partners. And we're currently, um, we're currently hosting Happiness on the Hill. That's our, that's our event. It's a free meditations on Parliament Hill every Monday from 12 to 1 uh, this summer. So we end, I think, on the 24th of September. But every Monday we're there. And there's a different meditation teacher every single week. So you get to try lots of different things. And we always do a Facebook Live. People can't make it. So that's, oh, that's really, awesome. That's a good I- summer thing. I was just about to, uh, what I wanted to add was that I'll leave links to your website and your social media in the podcast notes. And Mm -hmm. if you're listening, because podcasts stay out there for a very long time, if you're listening to this through the winter and into 2019 and beyond, just check at Catherine's website to see what she's up to currently. Catherine Hall, thank you so much for your insight, your story, your energy, your voice. It's been an absolute pleasure to (laughs) share this time with you. Yeah, myself also. Thank you so much for having me on. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to Free Your Inner Guru. I know you have a lot of choice where you receive your information and inspiration. If you enjoyed listening to this interview, I encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcast application you use to listen. Apple listeners, I'm always grateful for your reviews on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. A special thank you goes out to Janice Gross and the listener with the nickname West Meets East 3 for your reviews in Canada and Twin Madri 99 and I'm sure I'm going to say this one wrong but VLYB for life in the United States. I always appreciate the reviews when I see them come in. Enjoy your summer and remember to take some time outside as we move into the last days of August. I'm Laura Tucker, signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.